Hey everybody, welcome back into Content is for Closers. It's Adam Solo here for the intro this week, but we have a special episode with Matt Ragland for you. Matt has been around the marketing space for quite a while. He worked at, was one of the first employees at ConvertKit. He also worked at the project management software Podio or Task Manager and then went on to start his own content creation career. He, he became pretty well known on YouTube, especially in the productivity space and bullet journal niche, and then kind of has expounded on that over the last several years, still talking about productivity, talking about creativity, being a solo creator, and has leveraged that into the brand that he has today. So on this episode, we get into kind of the history, some of the very practical things that he did in order to go from full-time employee to solo creator. I learned a lot from that part and then really dug into his content flywheel. I think that part is going to be very helpful for a lot of you who are looking to be prolific creators in your own right. Matt creates a ton of really, really high quality content, and we got into his exact process for doing so. So hopefully you enjoyed this episode with Matt Ragland. YouTube creator extraordinaire. Put that content down. Content. The clothes is on. What's your name? Content. That's my name. <laughs> you know why, mister? Because you drove a Hyundai to get here tonight. I drove an $80,000 BMW. That's my name. Content is for closers. All right, we're back. We've got Matt Ragland on the show. And if I can poke you or prod you, dear listener, to watch any of our YouTube videos, this would be the one to watch because in addition to being a creator, Matt has ready-made a, a career as a hair YouTube influencer as well. I'm, I'm jealous <laughs> just as we're sitting here, Matt, looking at you. So thank you for joining the show and thank you for your locks of love. Yeah, definitely. Well, I appreciate you saying that. You're not the first one to make that comment. So okay. I, feel very, I feel very fortunate. I'm still waiting for some of my hair brand deals to come in because the, the influencing <laughs> is high. It's just it's some good yeah, lettuce. That's yeah. here. Thank uh, you. Yeah. Man. Thank I'm you. Sorry. I just took like six inches off like last month. Wow. It was a lot. That's, yeah, it was, awesome. it was even more. <laughs> well, in addition to your burgeoning, you know, beauty career, Matt, you have done a bunch of different things in the content space. I think you are one of the great examples of uh, what a lot of us aspire to do, right? You, you worked at a, a content-related company for a long time, which we'd love to hear about, and have made this transition into being a creator full-time and in, in addition to uh, starting your own agency. But for those who aren't familiar with you, maybe give us that story. How did, how did that come together over the last several years? Sure. And I'm glad you made the point that it was several years. For me, I don't think it has to be that way for everyone, but the way that content has changed, content marketing, the way that blogs and social media and YouTube have all changed, I've you know, done it all with varying scales of success. But I first started blogging about 10 years ago, WordPress.com mm. blog, and you know, made made the change to self-hosted. I was writing for a while. I did a pot. I did a thirty-episode run of a podcast myself back in twenty fourteen, which is pretty wild. Thinking back, yeah, you were and early. then yeah, and then in, imagine if I had stuck with it. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that thought, <laughs> that temptation. But in twenty fifteen, I started applying for jobs in 
content and creator focused startups. And I became, I got pretty close with a couple. My, my most memorable interview was I was a finalist for a product manager role at backcountry.com. And I got flown out to Salt Lake City and Park City for a couple of days to do interviews with the team. That was super cool. But then I ended up working at ConvertKit in late 2015. I was the fifth member of the team at ConvertKit. We had less than a thousand. We had less than 500 customers at the time that I joined. And I started working on the success and onboarding team and also migrations. And that's where I started to not just, I was always kind of continuing my own creative work. I wrote some for the ConvertKit blog. I was doing my own writing on my site and on Medium. At that point, Medium was like super big five years ago. And the other thing that made a big difference to me was I started interacting with a lot of the creators that I admired. Hmm. And one of the things that you may not expect from that type of interaction was not that I learned some particular tip or trick or secret strategy that like helped me in any big way. A lot of it was just the confidence of seeing that, yes, these people are prolific and in their own way, they are special, but there's nothing super special about them that I don't have. Hmm. And maybe I didn't like fully believe that before, but the more that I interacted with creators that I admired, well, they're really great people, but they're also like not that much better than me. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that understanding of that confidence, I would be like, okay, well, they've all been in the situation that I am in right now, and I can just continue to make progress. Um, the tipping point for me in my creative career came when I started on YouTube. I think it was in 2017. I started my YouTube channel, February 2017. And I made a commitment to do, I did a video every day to start. And that just helped, that helped me, that helped me like just add content and get the reps in, which is a concept we'll come back to. Mm -hmm. But it also helped me fill up my YouTube channel. Like you can, anybody can obviously put videos on YouTube, but when someone lands on your channel and they find a video like through YouTube that resonates with them, you want to give them a back catalog of content to then be able to binge through. And just having content available is the best way to do that. And so the quicker you can like add in a back catalog, even if it's relatively short, like I would say, and we're getting into strategy a little bit, but that's great. I would, I would say like make more small things early mm-hmm. than like big things because one, you'll fill up your back catalog faster and people can piece your content together. And two, I don't, especially early on, like spending too much time on a single piece of content because early on, you're not going to know what really resonates with right. people that right. much. And so just think of like one piece of content and one core idea for the topic. A sur- a a brand that does this really well right now and a course like a course brand is Ship 30 for 30. Anybody mm-hmm. who's been on Twitter is familiar. <laughs> In the Twitter like creator space is familiar with Ship 30 at this point, but they do a really good job of this and I think you can take that same concept of like 
instead of thinking like I have to write a thousand word essay or I have to have a 2000 word blog post or whatever, this thing like, what can I write? What is the one thing that I can communicate in 250 ish words and do the same thing several times per week instead of like once a week or, you know, even worse. The thing that the thing that kills so many early stage creators is not a lack of ideas and is not a lack of quality, even it's a lack of consistency. Mm. And it's better to send it's better to if you have like, say, two to 3000 words of ideas, or 20 to 30 minutes of video content or podcast content inside of you, it's better to space that out among three to four to five pieces of content over the course of a month than just one big batch right right at the beginning. Yeah, I, we we are doing a version of this with our YouTube channel because we've been pre- predominantly focused on podcasts and so are now building. And I think Shorts is really making this approachable for creators of all kinds of you know abilities because you don't Absolutely. have to be able to edit, like you said, a 10-minute video. You can you can do something that's sixty seconds, thirty seconds, and, and build up the backlog that way. Um, yeah. I want to I want to poke on a couple of things. So first, you said you did create the podcast back in twenty fourteen, and you did some blogging as well. Was that ar- around the same concepts of productivity? And like, were you already thinking about those topics back then, or or were they different endeavors? I was. They were different endeavors. I was thinking about productivity then, but not in a expression of content sort of way is just something that I was really interested in personally. And I wanted to optimize my time. And so I was getting into calendar, you know, time blocking. I think uh, deep work came out around then and I had read deep work, but the topics for those were very much around the concept of marketing, storytelling, storytelling as a marketing device or vice versa. And so the, I don't even think the podcast is really live because I definitely stopped paying for Libsyn a long time ago (laughs) (laughs) is the name of the podcast though was story signals. And one of the things that was really good about that, the most valuable part of it. And you know, you probably experience this now. It's one of the best parts about podcasts is the connections that you can make with people. Mm. So, you know, when you have a podcast and when you have shown your ability to publish podcasts and carry a conversation and be a good host and ask interesting questions, you can reach out to a good number of people. And I think for me, a couple of like key connections that I made during that podcast that have paid off since in different ways, one was in 2014, I interviewed James Clear. (laughs) Wow. Which, yeah, he was just like he his first website was called Passive Panda. I think he was still kind of doing some Passive Panda stuff at that point. So I got to talk to James way back then and we've stayed in touch. Another one that probably a lot of listeners may not recognize, but his name is Ryan Delk. And oh, yeah. Yeah. Ryan is good friends with Nathan Barry, who okay. is the founder of ConvertKit, and they were in a mastermind together. And so when Nathan was talking to, when I was interviewing with Nathan for a role at ConvertKit, I was able to make a connection with Delk. And from as far as I know, Delk gave me like a good thumbs up because we had a very cool podcast conversation together. Yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, that was a year before at that point, but it had certainly paid off. So there's a, 
they were different. They were different topics. But one of the other things that like I don't I don't always talk expressly about because it's not my it's not my topic, but I'm very I've always been very intentional and very focused on like good relationships and building relationships and building a positive network mm. as well. And that has that has like paid off for lack of a better term <laughs> in multiple ways, both literal and relationally over the past 10 years. And yeah. yeah. I, I love that. I think it's such a great point. And listeners of this show know what when you were doing your show, that's about when we launched our first podcast. And unfortunately, after about 18 months, like got all the guests that you were describing and ran out of steam after like 75 episodes. And it's one of, I don't have very many regrets, but it's probably the biggest regret I have is not continuing that to this point, because it was just such a bigger show at the time, so much more yeah. attention. And, you know, like you said, what if we would have just kept with it? Weirdly, just, just funny. I go to, I go to church with Ryan Delk's parents. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Super uh, small world, small world. Yeah. yeah. I haven't talked to him in a while, but he's a great guy. The other thing that you mentioned was that you started creating a YouTube video every day. Was that when you were, were you still full-time employed at ConvertKit at the time? Yeah, I was full-time at ConvertKit. The first two year, two, three years that I had the channel, I was like full-time at either ConvertKit or Podia. Uh, I certainly did not keep up the daily cadence, but my goal at the time, and this is my goal at the time was just to publish the video. Like, Gary V's channel was really, was really, really big at that time. Sure. It's still really big, but it was really, really, really big <laughs> at that time. And there was something that he said that really stuck in my head and has continued to whenever I get into a lull with YouTube, even though YouTube has very much changed over the past five years, the expectation of quality is way different. But at the time, Gary was saying like, document, don't create, document, don't create, mm -hmm. document, don't create. And that really stuck in my head. And that was my, that was my principle for the sh for the show for the channel at that time was we were actually in we moved to Chattanooga that month we were just talking about that and yep. so there was just a lot going on in life we had a almost two-year-old son we were living in this little apartment we were both my wife and I were both working full-time we were like doing all kinds of things and I was just recording you know doing like the daily vlog thing really okay and i was trying to what what a more consistent cadence we talked about like doing making multiple small bets say like in the ship 30 model you can do a similar thing with say like a three to five minute video again one one idea one concept but the thing that was helpful to me at the time was if i'm doing a lot of videos or you're writing a lot of content you can try a lot of different content types or topics without feeling like just one has to hit. Mm. And so I was talking about marketing. I was talking about parenting. I was talking about fitness. I was talking about working at startups. I was talking about customer development and onboarding and like all these different things. And after about six months of doing daily and then going into weekly, I made a video that was called how, how I plan my week in a bullet journal. And so that was like my first specific, super specific productivity video. And even more so for that, I just basically happened upon the bullet journal community mm. <laughs> on YouTube, which is quite, quite vibrant. And 
very willing to watch videos. <laughs> and what I saw at the time is, I think at that point, after six months, my most popular videos were, you know, two, maybe 300 views. It was not, it definitely was not taking off, which is a you know side thing that you have to enjoy. Sure. enjoy what you're doing. And I was really enjoying making videos. So I made this productivity bullet journal video. And I noticed after maybe a month that it had like 500 views. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then like another another month went by and it was getting close to the end of the year. And it was up to like 800 views. But it was kind of like slowing down. I was like, oh, well, it's still like, you know, five times as popular as my normal videos were at this point. So I decided and I had around. So this was December 2017. I had been vlogging for almost a year and had about 650 subscribers and my most popular video had 800 views. I made another bullet journal video that I released the day after Christmas that was basically titled like how I plan my year in a bullet journal. Mm. And my goal at that time was like, I hope this video eventually helps me get to a thousand subscribers and is my first thousand view video. And within like two days, it hit a thousand views. Wow. Which at the time for me, I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. And within a week, I had gone from basically 700 to a thousand subscribers. Incredible. And then I, for the next six months, I basically made some kind of bullet journal related video almost okay. every week for the next six months. And in those six months, I went from a thousand subscribers to 10,000 subscribers. That's and crazy. it, it was really wild. I still have not had like, I probably haven't had that kind of growth since, which is like a whole other conversation that I don't think I can fully answer. But like 2018, I went from a thousand to like 18,000 subscribers that year. And I definitely have not had that kind of growth since, which again is a different conversation and a something that I still haven't quite cracked yet. But the last thing that I want to say about it is I just started to turn all of the ideas and especially all the things that I was doing from a productivity perspective through the lens of the bullet journal. So there's a bunch of things. I used the bullet journal basically as a Trojan horse for how I looked at the world. Mm. And so it's like, if it's how to calendar block, it's like, here's how I calendar. Like, well, I calendar block. Here's how to do it in a bullet journal. I track my to do's. Here's how I do it in a bullet journal. So as long as I, the other thing, and this was like more specific for me at the time, but it's, it's, it's always helpful from a content perspective to think about how far down can you reasonably niche? We all, you know, and I say niche, not niche. So <laughs> come at me, whoever disagrees. But it's it's helpful to have like two or three levers that you can niche down on. And so like, it's not just productivity, it's the bullet journal. And it's not just the bullet journal, it's from a guy's perspective because most of the bullet journal mm -hmm. channels mm -hmm. are run by women and they're wonderful. The And then even like further down that, is it's a very minimal kind of Spartan layout. It's mm. not decorated. It's not artsy because not all those things are usually mutually exclusive. So it's productivity, it's analog, bullet journal, it's um, 
you know, more targeted at males, even though I never was like super intentional about that. And then it's very minimal. So like taking those layers down, because there are plenty of plenty of dudes <laughs> who mm. like to write down their tasks and not use a task manager per se, and don't want to draw on their notebook. So and there are also plenty of like, there are also plenty of women who like don't care to draw or don't want to draw or you know, themselves. So like going a few layers deep on a niche really helps someone come to my channel and think, oh, this is the thing for me. So, and so anytime you want to start at a top level, a top level topic, like how far down can you niche will, will help. So practically speaking, was it going through that year period of, of weekly publishing and then figuring out that filtration system of those, were those the two main levers that allowed you to go from part-time employee at ConvertKit, full-time employee at ConvertKit, part-time creator to full-time doing, doing this? Yeah, because though, as the audience grew, I was also like, I was working at ConvertKit at the time. And then I was working at Podio, which is a course, course and product platform for creators. Right. And so like, I just had the the good fortune of understanding those levers in the creator like stack as well. So from day one, I was collecting email addresses and mm -hmm. then pretty, pretty soon once the email list was active again, uh, there was a short course and then there was a one week workshop intensive. And so there's like a steady progression. And so, yeah, that it was all, it was all connected. It was all strategic at the time to be able to do that. But I think like, as you can look at how you build those things, it's, it's not impossible, but I like, honestly, in my experience, it's unlikely these days that most people, especially early on in their process are going to have like a $20,000, $50,000 launch event that's going to allow you to quit your job. Like one, those were probably more prevalent when like eBooks and courses were, <laughs> were like a brand new thing for the first time. And like the, again, the bar was lower, which is fine, especially the, based on what we see now. But like what I've done and what I see a lot of people do now when they're trying to make this like full time, full time operator, like salary to side hustle to full time creator is that it is a very iterative process. So I would make 5,000, then 15,000, then 20,000. And then I had to also be disciplined enough to start saving some of those things as well, like and everyone's circumstances are different. Like I had, when I went full-time, I had two kids and now I have three kids. And so Congrats. I wanted to, thanks. I wanted to, needed to, I had six months of expenses in the yeah. bank and, you know, full, full disclosure. I, um, I sold some investments and took another three months of runway out. Mm -hmm. And so it ended up being that I probably needed like based on if I, unless we were really going to take a step back from our lifestyle, which is more challenging, like, you know, lifestyle creep is a real thing. It's challenging <laughs> to do that. It's like, I probably needed nine months and probably closer to a year, but, um, but it, I, I would still say probably six months was, was solid. And, um, 
because like I don't know how long how much longer it would have taken me to get to a year of expenses and how much I would have like given myself excuses to keep waiting. So yeah, our, our audience to go for it. <laughs> our audience has had to hear my version of that several times, but similar thing. Six months was was the number we started with, and we we weren't back to to even after six months, but there was enough of a light at the end of the tunnel that it was like, okay, yeah, let's let's just keep pressing forward. So that brings us sort of to to what you are doing now. Obviously, you're, you, you talked about other creators being prolific. I think you're a prolific, prolific content creator and all the different things that you're doing. Tell us about your, your content flywheel and what it looks like today. Yeah, so even though I, my main channel is on YouTube, most of my flywheel starts with writing. And I send a newsletter twice a week. That is a thing that almost every week does get done. At least one send goes out every week. and. I would say over a quarter, I probably only missed the second cent like two times, but that's getting better and better. The flywheel starts with writing and a lot of times it will be a, a lot of times it'll even start with a tweet. So it'll be a, a fragment of an idea (laughs) that I might share on Twitter. And if it gets some traction, if it gets even a couple of replies and a handful of likes, I'll think, okay, there's something there. Because I'm not huge, huge on Twitter. And so like, you know, some engagement is like a good, a good sign, a good signal for me. And so I'll expand on that idea in the newsletter. And if something, but I also will often just start with an idea that I have for the newsletter. If that hits for the newsletter, I will often then turn that into a YouTube video. Sure. Because I know like this, this is working. And then in the YouTube video, and I also source source these through email replies or Twitter comments, is if someone, and this was really big for me when I made that first jump from 1K to 10K in 2018, is if anyone comments, especially on a video that says like, oh, this thing that you talked about briefly, I found really interesting, or I would love it if you clarified this some more. Like as an example, I told you I did the annual planning video. Well, one of the things that I talked about there was a time blocking strategy I called the 10 blocks, but I talked about it for like 90 seconds. And lots of people in the comments were like, oh, what's this 10 block thing? Can you explain it again? You didn't really spend any time on it. It It's like a 30 minute video. So there were lots of things. But then the very next video that I made was like, oh, yeah, let me do a deep dive on the 10 blocks. And that video did really well. Those are still like probably two of my top five most popular videos are are those two. So uh, anytime you can get engagement, questions, comments from an audience, that should feed into your flywheel because you know that there, there you literally know there's something there. You don't have to guess. It, it's literally right there. And then the other, the other piece of this is just through a curated, this sounds pretentious, a curated information <laughs> diet. Sounds very pretentious, and it, so I'm not as I'm not as good at it as 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 the pretension shit sounds. <laughs> but I do have a rough but workable system of I do have a rough but workable system of capturing ideas, notes, and highlights from different things I read, watch, or just think mm-hmm. of. And I take time out of each week to like, develop recent ideas. That's really important. I don't, I don't press myself to do it. I don't like if there's an idea that isn't resonating anymore, I don't like try and bring something up. But if there's something that does like 
it sparks enough to for me to make some kind of highlighter note about it. And then when I go back through it again, and there's still something there, I was like, okay, there's something there for me. And so I'll elaborate on it a little bit, just like in the note on the file, wherever it happens to live. Usually for me, that is in Notion or Rome. Mm-hmm. And so now I have like basically building blocks of content. Tiago Forte talks about this a lot in Building a Second Brain. Marie Polin is, Poulin, sorry, is great at developing these as well. But now when, maybe if I don't feel creative, I don't feel inspired. Maybe there's nothing that I've written on Twitter that has like had any impact recently. Then I can go through these like recent notes and ideas and be like, okay, this, yeah, this still sounds interesting. And I actually have like a sentence or two of content that I can plug directly into the newsletter and then build from there. That's awesome. Just just observing through what you just said, you talked about your your Twitter following being maybe a, a, a seedling of an idea and then taking it to your newsletter and then potentially taking it to YouTube. Obviously, I'm sure there's there's all versions of that. But in that stack, I might be wrong, but that seems like your least. So Twitter's where you seem like you have your, your smallest following. Newsletter is bigger and YouTube is obviously biggest. Is that intentional? Like that you test ideas on the smaller scale and then and then expand? Yeah, I'd never I'd never thought of it that way. I never thought of it that way. Okay, <laughs> but I, I think it I think it's more about just what Twitter is. Like Twitter is is micro thoughts, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the expectation is I can share like the seed of an idea, the spark of an idea. And if someone's like, oh, that's interesting, or oh, tell me more, what do you what do you mean by that? I'm like, okay, well, I can not just elaborate in on Twitter, but I can be like, okay, let me write this out a little bit more in the newsletter. And the newsletter, there's also like a a progression of scripting almost as well. Um, so I can, if I write about something in the newsletter that then becomes part of a video, then I can take sections of that. Yeah, sure and turn it into part of the script for a video. Now, in addition to all that you do as a creator and sort of mimicking actually what, you, what you've what you built here in terms of a flywheel and such, I know you have an agency as well that sort of provides part of that to other creators. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So this is, this is relatively new for me. In 2021, that was last year, I was all courses, coaching, YouTube videos, and then I had also started doing some operations work on the side, like helping helping creators like me with their email newsletters, with their courses. Mm-hmm. And I connected with another like former ConvertKit colleague. His name's Daryl Vesterfeld. He was the first head of growth at ConvertKit. We both started around the same time. But he had done some, you know, educational course operations in the past as well. So we joined we joined forces and built up a little team. And one of the things we noticed as we started building courses or operating courses for these creators is surprise, surprise, the ones who were sending the most consistent emails were the ones that were getting the most sales and especially the the best conversion rates. And so during, during the summer, I mean, literally this summer, we started pivoting some of our service from like course development and operations to, uh, managing managing email newsletters mm-hmm. for creators. And the way that that works for us is it is a little bit like a ghostwriting service. There is a ghostwriting component to it. But the way that we've organized it and the service that 
we provide to the creators is not simply like, hey, let us ghostwrite your newsletter. It's literally let us take the whole thing off of your plate. Because the people that we tend to work with are not super active newsletter writers right now. They usually, they have an email list and maybe they've done it in the past or they do it occasionally. But the value is there to send weekly to improve their course sales, to get them more clients, depending on their business model, or to do newsletter sponsors, which is something that the ConvertKit Sponsor Network has really been helping a lot of creators with recently, myself included. And so when you send weekly, everything else gets better for your business. And so what we do is we use the creator's own content flywheel, but they don't, again, they don't have to do anything with it. We source, we do all the research for back catalog content. Then we write, we edit, we send it to the client for to, for review. So if they want to change anything, they can. But then we take it the rest of the way also. It's not just like, here's a Google Doc with your newsletter. Have fun in ConvertKit. <laughs> Proof it. We put it in ConvertKit. We handle the automation, the linking, and then we schedule it and send it. And so our clients don't have to log into ConvertKit, <laughs> but they still get a newsletter that goes out every week. Yeah, it's such a beautiful thing for, I know a lot of creators that we work with get can, can get overwhelmed with, like, I don't want to learn the technology. I don't, and, and what's beautiful with this is you have the, obviously, a ton of experience with the platform and have built the, the content yourself for your own brand. So have, have both of those sides of experience. Yeah, Matt, this has been it, awesome. Oh, good. Yeah, part of it sounds a little infomercially. Sometimes it's like, not only can I do this for you, but I'm also a client myself. And I was like, <laughs> this, is, this is like an edition of my newsletter that I didn't write. Like it's part of a YouTube video, part of a podcast series that I did in the past. So it is still in my voice, but like writing those words in this way and putting it into ConvertKit, I didn't do that, mm -hmm. but it does well. Yeah. And I think, I mean, anybody who's created anything understands the lift that comes with that. Like this is one of my big hills to die on right now is, so I used to work for Gary Vee, obviously love him. I think mm -hmm. the idea of repurposing content and the way that he, what he means behind it is different than the way that it gets used and yep. just plastered. And to me that what you're describing is a beautiful way of repurposing content. You've, you've talked yeah. about a topic, you have it but then you have other experts who make that tailored to the platform. And I think that's what exactly. he actually intends. And he's, I've always taken that like from him. I've actually like used his, I was talking to someone today who was going to take like pieces from their newsletter and turn it into Twitter threads. I was like, don't just copy and paste yeah. like into it, like make it a Twitter thread. Like it should that's be right. native content. And so that's what we do. And I think it is, interesting and helpful to people is like if you have a youtube video that we can turn into a month of newsletters this isn't just transcribe copy paste it's like we're going to get to like the heart of the topic and we will like still use your words still like use your screenshots and everything but we're going to make it into an email it's not just mm -hmm. a copy paste transcription it's going to be a good newsletter matt i feel like we could talk like <laughs> i could talk for hours with you uh, just with so many more questions but i want to be mindful of time and we ask every guest that comes on, what is something, either a trend that you are noticing or just something that you have going on, maybe even with your agency that you're particularly excited about going forward? I'm really excited about the opportunity for sponsorships for newsletter yeah. creators. And it's something that can be 
really, really impactful. It can help you monetize sooner rather than later. And it's something that, you know, does take some work to like source brands, the ConvertKit Creator Network, which I've already, or a sponsor network, which I've already mentioned is doing a lot of that legwork for creators. But I, can you, can I you just, can you just give us your little, I, I know you tweeted a case study, but it was so memorable and so powerful. Can you just describe that? Yeah. So I didn't start, like I said, this is all, some of this is very recent for me as well, but yeah. I, it can be challenging to find sponsors and to like go through the whole, like negotiating, pitching media kit, the whole thing. And there's still some of that that is like table stakes to start getting sponsorships, but it got to a point where again, like I'm very mindful of my time <laughs> and the impact of my time. And so it was always a case to me of like, okay, well I could spend, you know, a, I don't know, a couple of days, a couple of weeks, not of like total time, but like over the span of a couple of weeks, I could try and like nail down this brand deal, or I could just do a workshop and make the same amount of money, or I could like, work on my course, or I could go find a new client. It was always like such an additional lift, even for me that like understands 90% of the components. It was still a lot. <laughs> yeah. But what the ConvertKit sponsor network does is they just send you they're like, here's your sponsor <laughs> and you get incredible. to approve everything, but you know, it's not anyone that I wouldn't want to work with, but they're like, you know, they send me like, Hey, do you want to work with this? And we're like, great. They're like, Cool. Here's the link. Here's the copy. Here's the image. Just put it into your email and, you know, you'll get paid at the end of the month. So went from doing like a very occasional one off email sponsorship that was always connected to a YouTube sponsorship. So I would just like throw it in there like, hey, extra 500 bucks. You want to do a couple of emails? They're like, sure. I'm like, great. Free money for me. <laughs> but now like I get like basically four to five hundred bucks per insertion on the on my newsletter and I send twice a week so eight sends on average usually per per month and that's four thousand dollars that two months ago was just not there and I'm doing the same work so unbelievable the the opportunity so that's becoming more and more mainstream I think the last thing that I would say about it is don't get stuck thinking that you have to be like over 10,000 or even over 5,000 to get a sponsorship. There are like mechanics in place and there are opportunities for that. I think it's worth the experience to start trying to do those things. And one other person to shout out on the sponsorship front, his name is Justin Moore. Um, he's the creator wizard on Twitter and he has like millions of dollars in sponsorships booked over the past five, 10 ish years with his own, his own channels. And he's been a great resource for me and many others, like figuring out no matter the size of your platform or audience, how you can start getting sponsorships and brand deals. Incredible. That's such a great practical thing for, for the listeners to use and can go, can go start using that today, especially if you're already using ConvertKit. Hmm. Matt, if people want to check out your work, if they want to check out your channels, where's the best place to send them as we go out from here? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Matt Ragland. You can also like find out more about my agency and the offer and get on an email list for for that, regardless right. of whether we work directly or not. But go to yourweekly.email. Yourweekly.email. Yep. And we'll, we'll, we will uh, link all that below. We appreciate your time. We know you value it. And, and we'll... 
have to do this again sometime soon. Yeah, thanks so much, Adam. Appreciate it. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to this episode of Content is for Closers. We hope you find this show really helpful as you grow your business with content. Maybe you know of other people who would find this show helpful as well. How about you send them our way? If you didn't like this show and you want to tell us that, then you can head over to contentisforclosers.com where you can send us a message, give us some feedback, ask questions, or find detailed notes for every episode. Until next time, keep creating and keep closing. Keep closing.